Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Talk Me Well. I'm your guest host for the day, Mary Runoff from Providence Health. As a reminder, the information provided during this program today is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship, and any questions or medical advice discussed is not considered guidance on what you should do. For any medical questions or concerns, please reach out to a primary health care professional. Also, if you're looking for free mental health resources, please visit worktobewell.org. That's work, the number two, bewell.org. Well, joining me today is Isabella Mercado, a college student and a mental health advocate. Today, we're going to discuss mental health in the time of COVID, self-care, and how she grew up in a Latina household. So, Isabella, thank you for joining me. Uh, let's, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Awesome. Thank you for having me. Well, my name is Isabella Perez Mercado. I grew up in Vegas, born and raised, 702. But I was born and raised here in Las Vegas, Nevada. It is my hometown. And part of it being my hometown is I got some really awesome experiences that to some might be questionable, but to others might be a great story. And through hearing and living these great stories, I've taken a big interest, a big liking to mental health and not only mental health, but the world of psychology with it. I'm currently studying at my community college, CSN, College of Southern Nevada, and I'm getting my associates this semester in psychology, which I think is awesome. And I plan to keep on going until I become a licensed therapist. That's amazing. I love it when people naturally land themselves into that field of kind of wanting to help people. Tell me a little bit, though, why why is mental health important to you? Mental health is important to me not only because it affects our day-to-day lives, but as we experience so many things through our lives, whether it just be from a short instance in your childhood, whether it be through something that happened as you were growing up as a teenager, or even as you come out of being a teenager and end up as a young adult, you're finding yourself, where do I fit in this world? It's so large. Mental health really matters to me because the way we not only treat ourselves and the way we treat others is what makes the world go around. We can see that in politics. We can see that in different social media stars. We can see that in the arts. We can see it in almost every instance of life. That is very true. You know, you just mentioned social media. And one of the things I absolutely adore about you is that you share about mental health on your social channels. So talk to me about why being vocal about mental health is important to you. So not only on, for example, my Instagram, do I think it's important to share the reality of what's going on, especially since we're just coming out of a pandemic, hopefully it ends soon. But being able to share that and being able to just be transparent and just show like, hey, I'm a real person. I'm not just somebody who poses on Instagram for likes. It kind of makes it normal to talk about. It makes it people feel like, oh, wait, you struggle with that too? Okay, cool. Like we're on the same page. We've both gone through these things that might suck in life or that can really be hurtful and harmful to our mental health. But being able to share something that can help inspire somebody to talk about it, to be open, to share a shred of your vulnerability, I think it's important because it humanizes us. Well, you mentioned COVID a couple of times already. I think COVID has had such a strong impact on people. I mean, we've seen huge increases in substance abuse, domestic violence, anxiety, depression, suicide, sadly. What, what is the biggest change or how has COVID impacted you the most from an emotional perspective? I think from an emotional perspective, the way COVID has really affected me personally as a 21-year-old. I went into the pandemic 19. I'm coming out 21. That's a very big jump in adolescence. But the way it's affected me is not only feeling lonely, but because I wasn't constantly around my friends, my coworkers, the students I work with, or around the people I go to school with. 
it made me doubt my sense of self and it made me doubt how I identify myself as well. If I have all these things that are constantly surrounding me, I typically would use that as my definition for who Isabella is. But once you lose all of that because of social distancing or the world not knowing how it's gonna proceed forward, it makes you shake your reality. It de definitely changes you to not only redefine yourself, but to see what really matters and what's a priority in your life, which is kind of devastating. Well, I know that you're doing school from an online format, and I know that you're teaching school in an online format. How how do you think being in this this kind of digital virtual space for for yourself and and for kids? How do you what do you think the impact is going to be long term? Long term for me and for other students who I've been able to talk to and just see on like platforms like TikTok, for example, no one feels like they're learning anything. It feels like we're doing what we can to survive. And while doing that to survive, it's also doing what you can to pass. Education levels, I feel like, are dropping. There's some professors out there, for I can speak personally, who have been immaculate with not only being understanding of the pandemic, but being understanding of the different life things that we're all going through. Just because we're in a pandemic is already enough for us to doubt everything we know and love, but our lives don't stop there. People have been dealing with deaths in the family. I know my family's personally dealt with one of those. People have been dealing with depression, loneliness, losing your complete sense of self. I mean, being stuck with family members that you might not have the best relationship with. All that on top of schooling from a student perspective as a college student, and then tutoring the students I work with who are in currently fourth and fifth grade, they are missing some key elements of their childhood in elementary school. It'd be one thing if they were able to be homeschooled and be able to go out here and there wherever they please with their parents. But when you can't go out in general, or maybe your parents are still working and you're just stuck at the house, it takes a big impact on their development and their social skills and how they feel about themselves. Well, first, let me say I'm very sorry for your loss. And I know a lot of people have lost loved ones. And it's it's really a horrible time that we've gone through. And it's it's inspiring, though, to see people like you who are still young, who still have such a positive outlook and who are still trying to help others, even even in hard times. So knowing that and knowing that there are a lot of students out there who are struggling, especially in an online school space, is there any advice you'd give them? The advice I'd give to any student, it doesn't matter if you're in college, it doesn't matter if you're in first grade, it doesn't matter if you're 65 and you're taking your first high school class. The best advice I can give to you is as long as you are doing your best, school will always be there. Not only does your mental health matter, but your overall health matters. Sitting online can be very hard. It can be challenging, if, especially if you're neurodivergent, if you have a loud household that takes your focus away. If you have different responsibilities that maybe at a young age you unfortunately have to take care of, make sure you're taking care of yourself. If you're still in school and you're still pursuing that, I congratulate you. I am so proud of you because it's so, it's a lesson that's very hard to learn right now. And while we might not understand it now, taking care of yourself and making yourself a priority, that's gonna be the best thing that will pay off overall, at least until we get through this pandemic. I love, I love the taking care of yourself and making yourself a priority. I, I know that you and I know your mother are very into kind of that self-care mentality. What what do you do? What advice would you give? What are little things that you think people can do to just really put themselves first and, and really focus on their mental health? Well, I think for people to focus on their mental health, number one, I do want to note that 
introspection, introspection is a luxury. Some people don't have enough time to think about, is this really benefiting me? Is it helping me? But when it comes to putting yourself first and you're able to just take a step back and just be able to take a breath, whether it's taking a walk outside, whether it's cleaning up a small area of your house that maybe hasn't been kept in a long time, especially due to the pandemic, or maybe just putting on a little bit of makeup for anybody who loves putting on makeup and getting ready in the morning. Little things that kind of realign you with who you identify yourself as, as a reminder of, hey, no, you're a human, you're here and you matter. That's an, a great example of just self-care. I love it. I love it. Are there any moments that you've missed during COVID that really had more of an impact on you than others? Like, uh, is it the first time you have your birthday and you can't have a party? Is it the first time that you wanted to spend time with somebody and realize that you couldn't because of exposure? What were those moments where you said, this is really hard for me? The moments that were the hardest for me in this pandemic were not only having to go from a school learning system and a class that I really loved, like my communications class, from going from all these fun times in community college that I was kind of getting excited for. I mean, these are eventful moments in all college students' lives to go from class and be able to learn these things and be able to have those inside jokes with people I'm around. Going from all these people I like to be around to being by myself with my family, not only was that a shock, but missing out on my 20th birthday and then being able to, by the grace of God, be able to celebrate my 21st birthday with two friends who are both vaccinated, that felt like one of the biggest things that I could celebrate because going from not being able to be around the friends that it's taken time to build relationships with to nothing has been one of the most impactful things. And my learning on top of it, that has been the biggest stressor. I've never had two of the worst academic semesters in my entire life. Well, you're not alone in that, so don't don't feel too bad. Um, when when you are having these moments, right, and and we all have them, where do you go for help, or what do you look to for inspiration to kind of get you out of that funk? So when I try to find inspiration or anything that pulls me out of this deep funk, or it's almost like falling down a well, and you're trying to climb back up. Things I have to remember is one when it affects my relationships that are not within my family. My friends, I went through something that almost doubted my friendships. I'm like, are we really friends? Is this, they don't like me, do they? And I went through all the self-doubt, but something that inspired me to be to push through that was if I can be not only a great person and a great friend to myself, I can be a great friend to others. If there's any discrepancy that might come in that friendship, then now's the time to not only look at that, but do something about it. Just because I can't physically be with someone in one room doesn't mean I can't virtually be with them just like we are right here, or I can't send them a text message, or I can't send them a funny TikTok that might remember remind me of them. There's different ways I can communicate with people and different ways I can make sure they feel my love, no matter how far they might be away, whether it's six feet or 60 miles or 300 miles or however many you might have between the people you love. But being able to miss those things Sometimes you just gotta take the little good you can have. I remember for my 20th birthday, I had somebody deliver cupcakes to my front doorstep and then they had to back away. And then I was able to have my mask and my hand sanitizer and I sanitized the box and I was able to pick it up and we were able to wave goodbye and thank you. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. I There's certain people in my life that I was really sad that I didn't get to see. And then I realized 
because we might, you know, I, I live on one coast, they might live on another. I actually see them and I'm using quotes, see them more now because we have virtual happy hour, we have virtual coffees or, you know, I, we talk and I actually get to see the kids now. And I actually think there are, there are benefits to how this has worked from remote work, right? People who are able to actually work remotely now and maybe not spend as much time in traffic or, or like you said, you actually do get to kind of have a connection with people that maybe you hadn't seen as often. Do you think there are positives from the pandemic that you're seeing as well? For myself, and I will speak for myself on this because I know other people have not experienced the same thing from the pandemic. For the friends that I do have, some positives from the pandemic was that it was testing our relationship and our friendship to be one where it's more intentional. Everything I do when it comes to communication is much more intentional because I can't just see them on a whim. I have to make sure I not only check if they're available for that time, if I want to FaceTime one of my best friends, see how her life is going, or if I just want to text them and be able to have endless conversations about things that might seem trivial to others, but can just really brighten up my day. Positives from the pandemic also include being able to focus on myself in a way that I didn't really have time to think about. That was forced to be introspective. Oh, can we expand a little bit on that? Give me one learning, one thing that you, you realized about yourself while you had that time that maybe you hadn't before. Most definitely. So when I was able to not only be in my house in quarantine with my family, I had to spend a lot of time by myself because I not only work online, but I go to school online. And in between those moments when I'm doing homework or I'm taking these different tests or quizzes, I had to see not only the way I learned, but the way I communicate with others. So one thing I did learn is that when I communicate to others, sometimes I can have these little anxiety ticks where I might breathe and I might feel anxious to speak to them about a certain topic. And being able to work through that by practicing on being more concise with what I say, practicing my facial reactions, not only seeing how I speak to them, but how I listen to them as well. Being online has also provided me the option to not over talk to people. I can overstep or I might cut them off, which is something I didn't notice I subconsciously did. And once I started paying attention to that, I was able to see that, oh, I can be a better listener. I can be a better friend. I can be a better person, a better daughter, a better granddaughter, just a better Isabella overall. Well, since you started out as a pretty good one, I can only imagine how great this Isabella is. <laughs> I want to, I kind of want to shift topics on you a little bit and and talk a little bit about your heritage and, and growing up in the family that you grew up with, because your, your mother's Latino, you're Latina. Is And we, we know, right, as a society, we know that there's still very much a stigma around mental health in the Latino community. Did you experience that growing up? Was that something you guys could talk about? 100% I did experience it. But as I do say this, I do want to give a warning. While I did experience a stigma around mental health, it was not with their interest to put it down. It wasn't within their best intention that they could speak on it because they didn't have too much education on it. They didn't understand the topic at all. If you, It was a blessing if you had parents who knew what depression was because the thought of depression in a Latinx or a Latine household, it just felt foreign. It felt as if, oh, that's something for crazy people. Oh, that's something for somebody who goes to like a mental hospital. Oh, you don't have that. Just, just grow up. It's fine. It's okay. Just push through it. Come on. like You're fine. You can do it. It's okay. It's just for now. Just keep on going. And instead of taking the time that might have been necessary for maybe a, as a young child 
when I was maybe five years old or taking time as a 13 year old or all these different important growth spurt times. Mental health wasn't taken as seriously because it wasn't treated as a serious topic for them when they were those ages. So my family believes in something of generational traumas, which I believe most Latina households do as well, depending on whether your religious background might be or what you practice. There's all these different traumas that might have happened from whether if you're first generation American or if your parents had immigrated to whichever country they immigrated from, it's a very big change. And when you're going through these big changes, you're not granted the time to think about how has this affected me? Is this affecting the way I react to people? Is it affecting me in the way I react to my children when they're going through something? Hmm. If I went through all these traumatic things and they're going through something that might not be as severe, then they don't have any mental health issues. They're perfectly fine. They have a roof, they have clothes, they have water and food, they're taken care of. And while those basic needs might be met, there's other needs that emotionally need to be met as well. You're so insightful for someone who's still kind of young and, and learning the space. But I have to ask you, it's it's heartbreaking to me when I think about it and, and when I look at the data. But right now and, and really over the last three or four years, we've seen this consistently, that Latina girls, especially high school girls, are the highest risk of any demographic to attempt suicide. And that just, it breaks my heart. Tell me though, why do you think that is? I think that not only as we talk about like, you know, Latinidad and all these different subjects within Latina culture, but when you talk about these 18 year olds who are just committing suicide and who are going through these life altering or life ending things and scenarios, one thing to bring up is that not only does machismo affect the emotional growth of a household and the emotional culture of a household. But when it comes to why they might be the highest to go through that and to choose that route for their lives, when you look at all these different aspects of how the women are treated versus how the men are treated, when you look at the eldest daughter's responsibility compared to the youngest daughter's responsibility, not only do those certain stigmas of where your place in the household is affect how you grow up, but if your mental health isn't being treated as something serious, as something, say something, you break your leg, of course you would go to the hospital if you have insurance and whatnot to get a cast or to get it looked at, or you would go to a doctor. It's something that's made itself evident. But when it's something that's more internal, it's internalized and it's in your psyche, most people aren't gonna be able to see that. Sure, you can see symptoms if you're educated on it, but if no one's aware of the situation or especially how deep you are in crisis, sadly, things like this come to pass. Do you think it also has some, and, and you kind of mentioned it when you talked about the insurance, do you think some of it comes from just access to healthcare, access to finding a mental health provider, and, and even so, at finding one that understands you and, and what you what your life is like? Because I think when we look at the number of behavioral health therapists out there that are people of color, it's surprisingly low. Do you, do you think that has an impact on, on your willingness to seek help? I think not only does it serve as an impact on your willingness to seek help, but if you don't have insurance, for example, you're already limited on the health care you're able to get. Not only that, but you would know that you would need health care if, say, you chip your tooth, say you break your leg, say you hurt your arm, say you hit your head playing a sport, for example. That gives cause to reason. 
we understand that relationship. But if you are already struggling with your mental health and you don't know what avenues to take, it can be incredibly difficult. Not only on top of that, but finding a mental health care facility that can accommodate you, accommodate your background. I know I've personally struggled with finding a therapist that fit, was the right fit for me just because I didn't want to have to explain my family dynamic when it comes to cultural standards. I didn't want to have to explain these different stereotypes and why they might be difficult to talk about in therapy. But instead, being able to find a woman of color or a man of color, depending on whatever suits your best interest, finding somebody who is culturally competent on your background and who can be able to easily discuss with you, okay, like your parents are like this, say no more. Now let's talk about the relationship you have with them. Being able to skip that step because they're already aware and they're already competent in that area of your ethnic background can be such a lifesaver. And while there is such a big need for black, indigenous, other women of color in the mental health field, I think as we start to end this pandemic and we start to wrap it up that we're gonna see a larger increase in those women and those people just who are practicing and who already understand that, which hopefully in the future and the years to come, we'll be able to show that in the support for people just having access to therapy, having access to these healthcare facilities. How do you feel as someone who, who believes in therapy, <clears throat> we've seen a huge uptick in virtual care, right? People are, are using telehealth now for anything. I mean, I think I have a cold. I think I have a bladder infection. We're starting to see a much much more penetration of people using it for, for mental health. Do you feel like you, I don't know if you've experienced it or not, if you've tried it, but do you feel like people can get the same level of care using a virtual experience with a care provider that they could in person when it comes to mental health? I think given your scenario, depending on what you are struggling with or the issues that you've experienced or the scenarios you've gone through in life, online therapy can be a great avenue. However, it does have its limitations and those limitations can be very grand depending on what you've experienced as a person. I have gone through online therapy and while it was very helpful, it was helping me not only to heal from some of the things from last year, it also had its limitations for myself. I was luckily able to find a woman of color who was able to not only support me, but somebody who understood my religious background, which I thought was amazing and it made the search so much easier and the cost was much less than it would be for a stereotypical session. Now, if you have anything along the lines of birth trigger warning, an eating disorder, or if you've gone through anything that might be extremely hard to talk about due to trauma that you can't verbalize comfortably online because maybe you're not in a safe space at your dwelling, that maybe other people might be able to hear you, then I would suggest if you are able to, and once the pandemic allows, in-person therapy would probably be the best suitable position for you because it takes you out of that environment into a neutral environment that can be able to better assist you and better observe you and better observe what you've gone through to see how they can provide help for you from there. You're so intuitive because that is one of the things we've been hearing, especially in Latino and Asian families is virtual is hard for me because it's a multi-generational family, right? I have to find a space where I can talk to you where I'm not going to see my tia. I'm not going to, right? I'm not going to be around all of my cousins. And so I think it's something that a lot of us maybe don't think about. So I think I really love that you brought that up. Um, you did also mention your faith. Talk to me a little bit about how religion has played um, a role in your life, especially around your mental health and your emotional wellness. I'm happy you brought that up because not only with having a multi-generational home, 
and how that can might counteract your ability to do online therapy. It also can counteract your ability to open conversation about your mental health and just the mental illnesses you might be going through or just things that are hard. I struggled with it as I grew up in a Christian slash Catholic household, predominantly Christian. And I went to a Christian school, a very secluded private school. It definitely affected how we viewed mental health because it was seen more as a weakness that can just be brushed away with a prayer rather than something that can be worked on and something that you can actually heal from through not only through a spiritual aspect, but through an aspect that you can do. They say faith without works is dead. So if not only can have faith that this is something that you can get through, you also have to work on it. Part of therapy is not just telling somebody how you feel and that I'm depressed, help me. Part of therapy is doing the work to get you yourself out of that position. And it can take seconds, it could take years to have that epiphany. But in my household, when I went through depression, when I went through passive suicidal thoughts, I, it wasn't something that was welcomed. It was something that was seen as very taboo and seen as something's wrong with you. And it's like, well, yes, something is wrong. It shouldn't be seen as something that others meet from the family. It should be seen as something that, hey, we need to pay attention to this. Hey, as a family, we need to unite in this area. Something that was brought up with trauma was with my grandmother. She shared stories with me. She's like, oh, I turned out just fine. And I said, you do realize that that was a traumatic experience. The fact that you could remember something from when you were six years old to compared to when you're 61. And she had the epiphany right then and there where she said, oh. And from there, she's been able to not only be able to open up about it, but she's been able to be vulnerable about it with the family that she can trust, which is a very big thing right now. I like too that they said, you know, oftentimes people think there's something wrong with you. And I think it's one of the biggest things with mental health we have to talk about is that if you get a diagnosis of cancer, everybody supports you. Everybody feels for you. Nobody blames you for that. If you get a diagnosis of PTSD or postpartum or anxiety or depression, suddenly it's your fault, right? People don't have that emotional, I guess, wellness aspect of, oh, I should take care of this person. And I feel like that's part of the reason people don't share about their mental health. Do you, have you seen that? Have you experienced that, that kind of shame of wanting to talk about having that issue? I have experienced that shame in talking about my own mental health, but not only that, but supporting things that my own family members have gone through. I remember my grandma, she was explaining something. She's like, I just, I feel like I can't breathe. I feel like this is really bothering me. I can't sleep at night. It's just, I, and I don't know for what reason. It just doesn't make sense. And I started asking her, my like, grandma, do you, do you think you're feeling anxious? And she's like, what's anxiety? And the fact that she was able to verbalize what's anxiety, it shows that not only is there a form of oblivion when it comes to mental topics, but simple things that everybody might experience, such as depression, anxiety. And furthermore, she didn't even know what anxiety was. She didn't know that that was a word for that emotion that she was feeling, for that physical response her body was giving to her. So for when it comes to shame about mental health, yes, there is a big shame. And there's also a big discrepancy when it comes to the education of mental topics or mental words or the different definitions for things that common people on social media might know to households that maybe our family members don't know. Well, one of the, one of the things that you mentioned earlier um, 
and bless you for using the trigger warning, was an eating disorder. Um, and I know that you um, have been very, very vocal about being body positive. And it's one of the things I think is so amazing about you. Um, you've embraced your voluptuousness, right? And girl power, because so have I. <laughs> These thick thighs have seen a lot. Um, talk to me, though, about why why spreading the message of body positivity is so important to you. And if you don't mind, tell me, how did you get to that point? Because I, as a big girl, and I've been a big girl my entire life, I, it was uh, in my 40s before I embraced it. Mm -hmm. When it comes to body positivity, something I've learned within the past year has not only been redefining myself as a person, but redefining how I view my body. Because it was almost like two different people. Like There's mental Isabella and there's physical Isabella. And the two, they do not collide. So when it comes to embracing my body, I've learned to have body acceptance rather than body positivity. Because with body positivity, I found it as an excuse to force myself to be happy about it when that's not realistic. There's going to be days where I don't like that my body does that. There's going to be days where I'm like, I don't like that I jiggle when I run. That just, we're not going to talk about it. But rather than trying to force myself to be positive about it, I can accept that my body's going to jiggle when I run. I can accept that if I look up or down or sideways, you might see a double chin peek out here or there. I can accept that as a 21-year-old young woman, I am fat. That is a descriptor. That's not something that's meant to put me down. That's something that I have the ability to change. However, within taking care of my body and my body literally pushing me through a worldwide pandemic among other adversities I face, I'm happy I'm alive and I'm happy I'm here. So with body acceptance, I think from a young age, being able to see other role models such as my mom, such as other people normalizing body talks, normalizing how they talk to their body, how they talk about their body, how they talk about themselves, it really sets up not only a visual platform that I can see others with similar body types to me, showing that and showcasing them, but normalizing how I view it myself. I just, I keep, I keep thinking in my head, she's so wise. It's, I just love the way you've, you've kind of taken life and really embraced it. And I think it's so important for people like you to be an advocate. Do you hear from other girls or even, it doesn't even have to be girls, could be boys. Do you hear from other people in the social space that just, yeah, thank you. Thank you for what you're saying. Thank you for helping me get to this point. Or, or even better yet, asking you, how do I deal with like the people who are, who are shaming me for my physical appearance? I think specifically when it comes to the social media world, I've heard more feedback on my Instagram. I remember the other day I posted that I was going to this gym and I thought it was really awesome because it was only a 45 minute workout, which is great for me because I hate working out just because it usually takes so much time out of my schedule that I can't do it properly. If I can take a good two hours out, I'm going to take a good two hours out. But due to my short time frame of being able to do certain aspects in for not only virtual schooling and being online for work. I posted that this was an awesome 45 minute workout. I suggest that if you are looking for one that's quick, that can adjust to any schedule, you should come to this place. And before I even thought about it, I knew I was going to get backlash that, oh, why are you working out? I thought you were body positive. Like, how dare you treat your body the way it should be treated and not accepting that you're fat and just living life like that. And I had to give a little warning. I'm like, hey, I'm not trying to lose weight, guys. I'm trying to not only help my mental health by taking care of my body, by pushing it to do some form of activity since I live a sedentary life. But just getting out of my element and being able to do that safely that was in a COVID safe space and just doing something that betters my mental self rather than my physical self. But with working out, it does both. 
So when it comes to being able to talk about those things and getting feedback, some people were like, honestly, I felt the same way. I'm happy you said that. I'm like, right, it helps normalize it, even if it's in, within a small group of people. And on TikTok, I've also seen for both plus size men and women and anybody who might be in between and no matter how you identify, is people are showing their measurements and their height. Because some there you could have five people who are the same height, doesn't matter if they're plus size, if they're mid-size, if they're in between, if they're skinny, they all have different body types. They can have the same measurements, different body types. They can have fat that might be in their breasts and their butt area. They might have their fat puncture in, in their stomach area or in their thighs or in their arms. And being able to see so many people show the diversity of what the human body can look like, that's not only been awesome, but it's just really helped in supporting everyone around us to be like, hey, if this person can look good and they have the same measurements as me, I can look good. And it's just one of those like little mental like pats on the back. It's like, okay, you got this. Like go into life, continue, move on. You got this. And it's a silent welcome for the committee. It's interesting that you mentioned that about the working out and how some people, you know, shame you for not embracing it. I, um, you and I talked about this before our interview started. I lost 120 pounds and I documented the entire journey through social media. And oftentimes I would use the, the hashtag fat girl gone fit. And once I got down to, you know, a size eight slash 10 or whatever, people were harsh with me. They were like, you can't use that hashtag. You're not fat. You don't understand what it's like to be fat. You're no longer plus size. You can't be part of our community. And I am in quite a few communities for plus size women. And I was just getting this constant backlash of you're too skinny to be in our group, which to me blows my mind because I'm still a very plump girl, right? Um, so it's really interesting. So what do you say to those people though? when they say that to you, because I really struggled with, do I bother to reply? Do I engage in this conversation? And then I decided it really was important to me because just because you're heavy doesn't mean you're not fit. Just because you're working out doesn't mean, you know what I mean? Like it's important for us to live a healthy life and healthy life looks different to each person. So for those people who are experiencing what you are, what do you say to those? To those those comments, those, I don't want to call them trolls because they're not always trolls. Sometimes they're really passionate about it, you know, and they're trying to make a point, but what do you say? When it comes to people who might shame me for bettering myself or who might shame me for not accepting that I am fat, which one I have accepted I'm fat and I can change it or I can make it better or worse, depending because it's my body. But when it comes to people who try to tell me what my body is and what it isn't, I can calmly either respond to them and say, hey, my body can still do this. I'm so plus size. I might not fit what your definition of plus size is, but that doesn't change that it's part of my identity. It's part of who I am. I am plus size. There's no way around that. And there's some people where sometimes the conversation just isn't worth it. Because while you can educate others, some people just don't want to willingly have that conversation. And that's when you just calmly let them. Because when you stop defining yourself on what people are telling you, just like other plus size women have gone through with society, you're able to redefine yourself and you're able to live much a, a happier life with it. I keep coming back to the fact that you're so wise. I I, I know though, you, you've mentioned it a couple of times, so I'm not you know outing you, but you have struggled with self-esteem at times in your life. So what, what advice do you give people who are struggling with that? Whether they're too heavy, too thin, they can't work out, they wanna work out too much. What, what, what advice do you give them to deal with, the, with how they're feeling about not being happy with themselves? To the people who are struggling with just your self-esteem We've all been there. There's moments where I've literally cried because I hated the appearance of myself. I didn't want to look in a mirror. I didn't want to put on makeup. I didn't want to do the regular things that usually made me feel pampered. 
But when I started realizing that I was living my life on pause, that was like, oh, like once I lose weight, I'll be able to do this. Like, it'll be totally fun. That's not realistic. If I keep putting off life for a different body that I don't currently have, I'm never going to live that life. I'm never going to live the life I have in this current moment, no matter the circumstances. So being able to take those small wins where you're able to step out, whether it be with a jacket on or a jacket off to cover your arms, whether it be with a baggy t-shirt or a baggy hoodie or something that might be fitted, no matter where you are in life, if you can continue to just live it and to embrace the moment you're given, not only are you going to feel much happier in it, but you're going to see different changes that you want to make. And that doesn't have to be a change of losing weight. It doesn't have to be a change of getting fit or exercising every day. Because some people, they just, they don't want to hear it anymore. And I do not blame them. So when it comes to accepting your body, I think it comes first to accept your life. Accept that, you know what, I have friends I can go have fun with. I have a small community of people that I can go do something with. That's going to not only make me happier, but it's going to give me those experiences. Because the minute you start limiting yourself is the minute you start experience, limiting your experience on life. This has been fabulous, and I absolutely could talk to you all day long, but I know we're about out of time, so I'm going to give you one final chance. Any parting words, anything that we didn't get to talk about that you really want people to know or any advice that you still want to share? To part with this awesome conversation I've been having with you, and like you said, I could keep talking all day long. I could ramble, trust me. But if there's anything I can part with is that even when you feel like you can't live that life, even when it feels like you just want to crawl away into bed and just hide, when you just want to sleep and never wake up, any moment that you choose to live, whether it just be walking outside, whether it just be getting something from your car, whether it be handling a small task like putting a shoe, a pair of shoes away, the minute that you can start awarding yourself that, hey, I did this. It was small, but I did it. I completed that. Those are things that are going to help give you the win and give you the courage to keep going on in life. So as long as you can keep living, keep trying your best and you're going to see the fruits of your labor. I love it. We we always say to people, sometimes the win is getting out of bed today. Sometimes it's taking a shower. Sometimes it's walking to the mailbox. You know, it doesn't have to be a huge win. It's just a win because every day that you can get out of bed and you can do those things is another day that you're living. So I absolutely love you. I love what you have to say. I love what you're doing in this world. I just really want to thank you uh, for joining us today. Um, to learn more about our free mental health resources, visit worktobewell.org. That's work, the number two, bewell.org. And make sure to follow us on social media at Providence Health System on Facebook and Instagram and under Providence on Twitter. Thank you all for listening and thank you, Isabella, for joining us.